Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 59 of the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everybody is well. This week I am joined by Stave Studio, a.k.a. Sam, Joshua and Harry, as they provide top secret intel on their spy thriller adventure game Over the Alps. Over the Alps was released in 2019 on Apple Arcade. And it was also released on March 31st, 2020 on Steam for PC. Now, before we get to the interview, this interview was conducted a few months before the announcement. So that's why we don't mention it in the interview. And also, it was done with three people over Skype. So at times, the sound quality might not be well, as good as normal, so I've done the best I could, so hopefully it's not an issue, hopefully you can hear the people okay. And with that, well, let's get to the interview, so please enjoy. Thank you so much for joining for another episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. I am here with the three wonderful developers from Stave Studios. So, hello guys, how are you? Hello. <laughs> Hiya. Hello. Good, thanks. So, Okay, so that's the voices of the three developers. Now there are three three men, so we're going to <laughs> going to try and we're going to ask you all to first of all introduce yourselves, and you can mention your favorite adventure game. So, who wants to go first? So, Josh, would you like to go first? I can, yeah. Um, I'm probably going to give the least interesting answers <laughs> because uh, I'm just. I- like I that. don't believe that. <laughs> I'm going to push your boundary of adventure game, probably, but it's quite a broad one, right? So we can, yeah, um, yeah. No, it's um, like we, like you said before, um, my, the things that I loved in adventure games, or I've mentioned this to the guys during development as well, is the moment you're on your journey, whatever it might be, um, and you feel like really out there, like in the sticks in the world you've maybe had to gather up your provisions or or whatever it is you need to before you go make those decisions and then once you're out there those things are final you're dealing with your choices um i loved the witcher 3 for that um which was what i was going to go for from it it's the one that sort of gave me um a huge amount of that uh like especially when i was expecting this world to have a lot of hubs in it and it turns out no you've got to get on this rickety little boat that you're going to get torn apart by harpies on the way through like the the water and then you're out in some abandoned island with things you took with you it's amazing like that was immersion for me but yeah and then uh, like on the other end of the spectrum games like the witness which again you're that you're sort of on this unknown island that you don't know what about but it's a completely different game you're still adventuring through it and you're still figuring out things but it's delivering a completely different experience and was one that you know I managed to play with my girlfriend who doesn't really play video games, but loved it as well. And just a whole different level of engagement there, but still under this adventure game umbrella. 
I haven't played either of two, although I do have The Witcher 3 in my collection. I'm sure sometime next 20 years I might get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have heard some, you know, great things about it, that it is very, very immersive. And, you know, I'm just reading the books now and I just watched the TV series. So I'm sure at some point I will get into it. And I have heard that the, the story, the narrative is one of the best people say in any adventure game. So... Um, so yeah, and the witness as well. That's uh, is that more of a puzzle game? That uh, I suppose, yeah, I mean it's uh, I, I guess the exploration element of it. Um, I was pulling it into adventuring. Um, kind of uh, I guess say I'm going to play hard and fast with the term adventure games. There, go right ahead. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's um, no, it's uh, it sort of felt like it to me. You know, the sort of journey of discovery and things through puzzles, definitely. Um, but yeah, it was it, for me. It felt adventurous. Yeah, and the witness. Uh, sorry, not the witness. The Witcher is just yeah, total immersion. Okay, well, I look forward to playing that at least sometime next twenty years. So <laughs> you need about twenty years for it. Pro- probably, I've heard it's a long game. <laughs> Unending. Okay, so that was Joshua, who's one third of Stay Studio. Sam, would you like to go next to introduce yourself and say what your favorite well adventure slash narrative. Or any games are. No worries. Uh, my name is Samuel Partridge, and I'm the studio lead lead for Stave. Uh, my favourite is, and I feel like I'm massively cheating by saying this, is 80 Days. Uh, it's kind of obvious if you look at over the Alps uh, what kind of impression 80 Days had on me and the studio. Um, it is a game that I keep coming back to. I keep playing over and over again and I keep finding new things in. The scale and the sense of the adventure in it feels endless uh, and it is such a joy to play. Yeah, I haven't played it but I've heard of it and Laura, uh, she's she's played it and she, she loved it as well and there's a lot of replayability from what I from what I gather from that game, correct? Yes, it's extraordinarily huge. There are, you know, the average player I tend to go, you know, go through Europe and then through India and over the Pacific and some games though you can go right down to Africa all the way up into the Arctic and every section is just filled with fantastic stories nothing feels like filler it's incredible you know there's parts in that I've never seen and people have talked about and I'm still trying to get there it's just a very special game uh, for me as well Uh, it's it's fantastic you can have this enormous endless story in your pocket you can pick up any time and just jump back in so it is a huge, huge global game. It's fantastic. It's just a great game. Yeah, no, I definitely, um, you know, I've heard quite a bit about it. And I should probably get it because it seems like I would really enjoy it. And I believe it won the Game of the Year from Time Magazine and other awards as well, um, you know, when it came out back in 2014. Yeah, it won just about every award under the sun. Um, and... John Ingold, the uh, project lead for it, who was our uh, writer for the first part of Over the Alps, uh, was the main kind of powerhouse behind it. He won a hell of a lot of awards for his writing. And Meg Giant, of course, mm-hmm. wrote for it as well. It's it's just a treasure. I can't recommend it more. Um, this is the bad thing about talking about a game you're really passionate about. <laughs> All I could say is different words for how excited and how happy <laughs> it makes me feel. I have no negative things to say about it. Except for I, uh, I, I, I wish it could just go on and on forever, but uh, hey. Yeah, that was, um, you know, speaking of John Ingold, he also made, have, or wrote uh, at least uh, Heaven's Vault, which we played, and it was our 
game of the year last year, 2019, for myself and Thomas. Now, again, I have not played over the Alps at time recording, so uh, who knows? But, um, you know, we love that game as well. And Thomas put as his only negative for Heaven's Fault is that it ends. <laughs> <laughs> I've been... So when we started over the Alps, we were really heads down. Uh, we had about three and a half months to finish the project, uh, which was not a lot of time. Um, so we didn't get a lot of free time. And that's around about the time Heaven's Vault came out and was really kind of, you know, bedded down and ready to go. It's been sitting there, you know, downloaded on my PlayStation for so long. I am going, I in fact, just started to get into it now. And it is just fantastic. I'm really oh, yeah. glad. I, I waited for like the banquet that is Heaven's Vault. It is just a stunning game. Uh, so no spoilers. Uh, I'm still, still just getting started. Oh no! Don't, don't worry. But even, uh, you know, even if which I won't. But even if I did tell you, you know, some the story beats that I found in my playthrough, chances are that you would find different things. Because when I, I mean, myself, Thomas, and Laura, we all played it. But when when I finished it and we talked about it, we found that we all had different experiences. You know, based on choices that we had made as well, and the story kind of goes off in different directions depending on what what choices you make as well so uh, but no it is a fantastic game and it's a game to be savored uh, i think um so i think you did did right to wait until you had free time because it is a long game it's a it's a big game and it's a game that you kind of you know you want to get into you want to have time to play and uh, you know at least i certainly did and I, and I really really enjoyed it so um, so yeah, okay, you know, look at you know, hope you continue to enjoy it, which I'm sure you will. <laughs> um, sure will, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. So okay, so that was Sam. So now the final piece of the puzzle for Stay Studio is Harry, I believe yes. So hello, Harry. Hello. Hello. So uh, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and say what your favorite uh, adventure slash narrative slash overall games are. Hi, um, so my name is Harry Tufts. Um, I'm working with uh, Stave Studios. Um, we're kind of, um, I'm doing writing um, at the moment. Uh, obviously, John Ingold wrote the uh, the game as it currently is, though. Um, and in terms of my favourite game, it's a bit of a tall order. Um, it depends, I guess, on how purist you want to be in your definition of adventure games, which we're kind of talking about a little pre-recording. Um, I'm going to be aggressively purist just for the sake of the challenge of it um, and say that my uh, favourite adventure game that definitely meets all of those specific kind of... Uh, you know, No matter how stupid you want to be in your definitions, my favourite adventure game is probably The Last Express. Which was published by Broderbund in 1997, uh, in 1997, and was a massive commercial failure. But it's a really interesting game, and it's all done with rotoscoping in real time, and cost silly amounts of money. And it's all it's set before World War One. Um, it's a, an American who goes on the Orient Express and just gets caught up in this huge, vast tangle of conspiracies that kind of play out. Um, and it has a silly amount of endings and different things that can happen. And it's just one of these vast kind of sort of forgotten, but really fascinating boondoggles where it's just, it's a fantastic game. It's really, really good and really well written. And it just kind of submerged without a trace. Um, and then re more recently than that, I think my favorite kind of 
game that can probably I think meets the definition of an adventure game probably is Nice in the Woods which came out in 2017 um, which I just really loved I felt really immersed in the place of that game and the setting and I thought the writing was excellent and uh, um, it's kind of an adventure game meets platformer I guess um, but the platforming elements is just bouncing around on cables and cars and things um, and it's just moving around and talking to people for the most part yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard it got very good reviews. Um, it's another game I'll have to check you out. But but yeah, The Last Express as well. I haven't played it yet, but I have obviously heard about it and read about it. And and again, it seems to be you know somewhat similar to we we're talking about 80 Days in the sense that it's replayable. That you have to be in a certain place at certain times. You know, otherwise you miss conversations. And each experience is different. Uh, is that is that true? Because I said I haven't played it. Yeah, that's very much the case. Um, and I think it kind of shows its age a little bit. I haven't played it in a while, but I think it shows its age a little bit because it's almost too reactive and difficult to kind of get yourself in the right place to kind of untangle everything. And it can be a bit finicky. Um, but just the actual nature of the game and all like this kind of pre-world war kind of black hand conspiracy kind of just web that it weaves is so different um and not something that games often do i guess uh and i just love the fact that it's all in real time and you're just going around knocking on carriage doors and that kind of thing it's a right. very very strange interesting game and it clearly cost a huge amount of money and it's just fascinating because it's I, you know, it didn't make any of that money back. Yeah, um, it's, but it's, really it's a good. shame. I think it was going to be made into a film at one point as well. Oh, that, that would have been interesting. Yeah. So, you know, um, very strange, very strange game, but worth looking at. I, uh, I um, having heard so much about The Last Express, I downloaded it a, a few years back. I was like, I'm going to really enjoy this. This is the kind of madcap experiment I really like. There were six playthroughs, absolutely nothing happened for me. And I looked online and I found I found I just took the least optimal pass possible and had the yeah. worst time imaginable. <laughs> and was kind of like, wow, this is just impenetrable. It's fascinating. I'm really I glad actually... you said it. Like I, I it blew me away because it's just the strangest, most inhospitable game I've ever played. I really yeah, I actually it. played it with kind of looking at walkthroughs and not really like <laughs> Because I was just like, I want to see everything that this game has to offer, but also I don't want to have it all hidden from me because, you know, I missed the, at the very specific time of six o'clock, someone's going to be in a carriage saying something very important I need to eavesdrop on, otherwise I'm going to be thrown off the train at the next station. I didn't want to miss that, so I think played with the kind of your hand being held a little bit, you can kind of start to untangle things and that becomes... Uh, it's probably not the uh, optimal way of playing it, but it helps <laughs> deal with the kind of the age that it has, that it shows a little bit. Right. Yeah. And is there uh, are there any clues or anything uh, to as to to where to go and what to do, or is it just pure chance, pure luck? It's not luck because the clues, I guess, are kind of uh, given to you through dialogue that you can kind of eavesdrop on or talk to people and understand. Um, but all of the games, all, all of the events are kind of really heavily scripted to occur at specific times in the train. And there's this in-game clock and everything's just playing out um, according to this very tight schedule. And you can change things and then there's kind of 
the way that the events occur will then unravel will change based on the things you do. But if you miss something because you're kind of on the other side end of the train doing something else, then you've missed it. And sometimes you can miss something completely vital, and then you just have to deal with it, um, basically. And you get thrown off the train. I hate when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, a kind of rewind fast forward mechanic where you can rewind. Oh, is there? Yes. Yeah. You, if you or if you want to fast forward to a certain point in the story that you know everything that plays up and plays out up until then. But yeah. Uh, interesting. It's still so it's really interesting. Yeah, it's a really interesting game um, and beautifully and expensively animated as well. Hmm. Okay, yeah, well, I'll have to check that out myself. I probably will be playing with a walkthrough, but, um, but okay, no, there's some really interesting choices there as for your favorite game, so thank you for that. I'll have to check them out as well. So uh, now we can talk about you guys and begin to talk about your game, which is Over the Alps. But first of all, uh, you're all part of Stave Studios, um, and Sam, you mentioned that you were the well, I don't know what the, the leader or the you know of the of the studio. So uh, I was wondering if you could talk about how you came to found the studio, how you came to organize the studio. Did um, did you guys know each other before this, or did you meet up after you came up with the studio? So we have uh, three founders. Um, okay. Matt, who isn't here, Matt Arneal, uh, Josh, and myself. Uh, Harry works as a freelancer with us, technically speaking, though he's very much as part of the family, uh, as did John and a few others back in the day. And we also have uh, a few others in Canada and all sorts. But originally, uh, Josh and I knew each other because we grew up together, basically, didn't we? Yep, we did. <laughs> <laughs> in Warwickshire. Um, Josh was from Lem, I was from Rugby. Uh, we met at school. Uh, and you know we, we we were good mates, but we kind of drifted over the years. Josh went and did design work, uh, and I went off to do work in publishing, book publishing, for some mad reason. And over time, we got talking and just said we wanted to make board games. Uh, board games didn't go so well, let's be frank. Um, and that kind of shifted to video games. In fact, I went back to university so I could uh, become a computer scientist and make games. While I was there, I met Matt who was at the same course. And eventually I made my way to Fell Better Games where I met Harry, uh, who was working on House of Many Doors at the time. So that is the most circuitous way of explaining how we all met up with each other. <laughs> that, that roughly explains it, I think. So the, the three or four of you now, including Matt, uh, just met up and you founded the studio then? Well, yes, uh, we worked with Cash to Cure back in the day. Uh, Cash left us, though, about a year ago now. Um, the original aim was to make something uh, in about a year. That was Josh, Matt and I. And about eight, seven, six years later, we actually got the thing out, uh, <laughs> such as the time of part-time game dev. We worked on it in evenings and weekends, basically. Um, and now the game is out. It's an absolute joy to bring Harry on board, who I worked with at Felbetter, as he was a fund better individual, someone who Felbetter essentially co-published. Is that how you described fund better, Harry? Yeah, um, pretty much. Um, basically, I was working on a game called House of Many Doors, which I wrote um, and did the code for. Um, and I kind of ran a Kickstarter for it and 
fail better basically match the funds from the kickstarter in exchange for kind of a publishing like not not really full publishing but kind of a semi-publishing arrangement um and i would come in and work in a little corner in their offices as well and uh, kind of chat to them when i was there um and that's yeah that's how i met sam i was sitting working on a completely different game in a, on a laptop in the corner of the office while he was there very nice um, so you made this game House of Many Doors and you made it uh, through Kickstarter and uh, has that been released yet? Yes, that came out back in 2017 actually um, and yeah, kind of it's on Steam now um, I really kind of uh, killed myself a little bit working on it it was a, a huge undertaking um, and I made a lot of Bad decisions that were kind of born from inexperience, um, especially in the kind of kind of programming and organization department. Um, but I got the game out the door eventually, and the writing particularly has been really well received in it. Um, and since then, uh, I've done work for Foul Better more directly, where I've written for Sunless Skies and Fallen London. Wow, two pretty big games there. <laughs> yeah, I know that they have a lot of fans. So. Uh, yeah, so. And then kind of through my work on Sunless Skies, um, you know, I just, I kept getting work because Felbetter kept liking what I was writing. And then um, Sam, I think, was kind of took notice a little bit and um, kind of drew me over into Stave in a, <laughs> in a nice way. Yeah. In, a, in, a very, in a very gentle abduction, a very willing abduction. And yeah, I worked on... Um, Fall in London, Summer Sea, and Summer Skies. Summer Sea very briefly, though, and Skies briefly as well. Fall in London really was my baby, as it were. Well, no, that's not true. Obviously, it was everyone's baby. I was one of the developers on it, but that was my main area of concentration. It felt better. So, yeah, got to know Harry's work very well. Very nice. And so you, uh, because I've I've heard of you know fallen fallen London and fallen sky, the fallen skies as well. <laughs> There's too many things falling and going into skies and no, seas in yeah. there as well. A single <laughs> sea, it's not multiple seas. And the sea in the game sort of the Z. Um, there's fallen London, which is a browser-based uh, interactive fiction game. There's some sea, which is that, but with exploration going on in it and in a big underground sea and then there's sun of skies which is the spiritual sequel to summer sea i think is how they like to refer to it in which instead of a ship on an underground sea you're now flying a space train around the victorians equivalent of space does that sound right that's well that sounds interesting yeah. anyway it's a hell of a game yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've keep meaning to check these out as well. I've definitely heard of them, and I see, you know, a lot of people talking about them. And, you know, I, I see it on Twitter as well, you know, people keep talking about them. So I'll definitely have to check those games out. So so these were the first games that you made. And uh, Josh, um, I haven't forgotten about you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was really interested in hearing that as well. I'm not sure I ever actually knew how Harry and Sam met properly there. So this is it's enlightening all around. <laughs> so you're learning something new through this uh, through this interview through this podcast exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and did you work on and it's because uh, Sam I believe mentioned that you went uh, to work on design I believe uh, did you work on any games before you met up with Sam again no this was our um, 
well, we met up. Well, we were always friends since you know since growing up together. Um, and then I went off. I always have done design or, or illustration in one sense, one one form or another, and found a career of doing it in advertising um, for about ten years. But my passion was to obviously do something for myself, um, and that was where Sam and me came up with the idea of making games. And like he said at the start, started out in board games, and um, then sort of realised very quickly we couldn't do that. <laughs> and moved over to <laughs> video games which is going better i would say so far yeah yeah i mean cer- certainly this this game a lot of people seem to be talking about it so i think uh you seem to make the right choice <laughs> um but uh yeah so and what year was this then that the studio was founded or... Ooh, that's a killer question. <laughs> ah, I just oh, Google our company's house thing. It'll be yeah, a... company's, house is, company's house is 2017, but we had started meeting and talking in 2012. Uh huh. Okay. I, I believe okay. the first time over the Alps appears in an email is February 2012, as just hey, we can make something like this and go yeah, you know, Josh was just kind of stunning. I'm just going to stroke Josh's ego very quickly. Um, <laughs> this a fantastic illustration style and is so versatile and so flexible as an artist. It was like, we can kind of basically do whatever we wanted to and make it look as good as we wished. Uh, so <laughs> we went, that's all stayed since the very beginning, pretty much. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it really has. As it was just having to do it in weekends and evenings and, you know, all the various setbacks you get from that. The, the core concept of the game, even from when it was a board game, is really similar to what was put out a few months ago. <laughs> Interesting. So so Over the Alps was initially supposed to be a board game when you were still working on board games, correct? For one reason or another. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, yeah. I, was guess, right. I can't actually remember why it was meant to be a board game. I don't know what the logic was there. <laughs> I can I can I can answer this yeah I can answer this um you and I sat together and said you know we really want to make games together literally how our first email started off um and we said well we can't make video games because they're really hard to do uh we'll just make board games instead and then eventually we'll make video games based on the board games which was such a weird line of thought (laughs) yeah just so easy compared to obviously that's sarcasm (laughs) Um, I, <laughs> no, no, you're right. It's just the, you know, it's the follies of youth. We'll put that down to, but it was like 100% the follies of youth. Yeah, Josh is exactly right. Uh, it was this kind of strange concept that, uh, well, I couldn't code at the time. So how else are we going to make games? Um, however, it turns out that designing board games is really very difficult, and I found that I really wasn't, frankly, very good at it. Um. So when I went back to university, uh, it was a stroke of luck that Felbetter offered me an internship, a paid internship, which is so good that Felbetter did it. I couldn't have taken it without, didn't have the money to do it. Uh, and that got me into the world of interactive fiction and programming. So I then turned around to Josh then and said, right, okay, let's do this properly now. Let's make the thing we want to make rather than this strange board game knockoff concept. Yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I I mean myself personally I wouldn't know where to start in how to design a board game, oh. but <laughs> um, were were there 
you know, many similarities or differences to, you know, designing for board games and then designing designing a video game? Are there, you know, are there any similarities or anything that you learned? I will be very brutally honest uh, and say I was very, very bad at designing board games. <laughs> so don't think I'm the best person to ask. <laughs> I still think really... designing, but like the actual, like I said before, the core of it, like the idea of the game, you know, coming up yes. with the concept of an experience for a player, um, like that's the same as the, you know, the board game over the Alps is, is the same experience pretty much as the game. So there was that. It was also the the pleasant thing about video games when I you know learnt, taught myself programming and started programming for the first time. You don't have to rely on other players' brain powers to do a thing. You can put things into the back box and it spit out some information for you. So in the for an example, in Over the Alps, it's really great that you could have things like secret variables that track how you know how close the police are to the player without necessarily telling them directly they're exactly here, which in a board game would be very, very hard to simulate. You'd have to either have one player as like a dungeon master, which is very strange, or it's shared knowledge or semi-shared knowledge around a table. All these things hard, but Josh is right. Like the top level of it, the concept of there are players, they need an experience and this kind of vibe we're giving them is, is, is very much the same. Sure. Okay, well, thank you for that. And so, what did uh, so then you started working? So, uh, over the Alps then became a video game, as we mentioned. And did the three of you then work on Over the Alps? Uh, oh, Josh, sorry, you go ahead. No, no, I was going to say the three of us being Matt, Sam. Oh, sorry, Matt. And and Harry, did you did you work on Over the Alps, or did you join afterwards? No, I uh, I avoided the kind of the extremely stressful period where they were working on uh, getting the game ready for release. Um, and I kind of slid in afterwards when it had all settled down a bit. Um, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll let them speak to that a little bit more. Okay, sure. We, we can find out what you're, what you're doing uh, next um, uh, a bit later on. So, okay, so that's uh, mainly with uh, Josh and Samuel then. You came up with this idea for Over the Alps and became a video game. And um, so, f first of all, Dennis, one if you could tell us a little bit about the plot and the setting of the game, and then we can talk about how you came up with the idea. So, first of all, what's the what what is the main plot or setting of the game? I'm guessing it's in the Alps. You have to go over. <laughs> Sorry, terrible joke. I'm no, to make no, terrible, terrible jokes. So. You, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, you do. You, there are Alps. You go over them. Um, so the story as written by John Ingold and Catherine Neal and edited by Nick Bush is how to give away without giving anything too much spoilers. It's a World War II spy thriller is how we describe it. Think of Hitchcock, you know, it's got a little bit of the tinted in there. It's got a little bit of the pulp novels. You're a spy. You are sent on a mission to Switzerland, a series of mistakes, adventures, and uh, quite a few Nazis getting your way. Um, and I hate those you, Nazis getting in your way. <laughs> they're, they're, they're terrible. Uh, and yeah. It's been a joy to have you be able to punch them, aim guns at them, and all the rest. Very proud of that. Um, then the player... Uh, the more I go into, the more I spoil it, but I'll say this. 
The player is caught up in a plot, a very sinister, top-secret plot, happening in Switzerland in 1939, and has got to make their way over the Alps to the other side and try and get out while avoiding the Swiss police and the attention of a nefarious Nazi. How yeah, very intriguing because I, now as I think I mentioned at least before recording, I played the demo that you guys had at Venture X in 2018 and I absolutely loved it in my, even in my sleep deprived state. It was one of the games that kind of, you know, woke me up and I really, really uh, loved it. You know, I loved the setting and you mentioned it's, you know, kind of Hitchcockian as well, which, which I love. Um, so, but it's, it feels like kind of one of those games where you can't really go into too much detail about the story, <laughs> that the joy is discovering the story uh, for yourselves. At least that's what I found in the demo. There is, in the, that in the current iteration of the story, there is something that happens in the fourth and the seventh location that if I were to say would change the story of the game. Uh, so it's very hard to talk about <laughs> other than going spies, World War Two, action, trains, planes, automobiles. You know. That sort of thing. <laughs> well, I think people kind of get a general sense. It's a, it's a spy thriller set set in World War Two. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, no definitely you know at least the demo that I played. I loved the the writing. I was. And then when I when it's finished, I was like, wait, 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 what? It's finished? I want to know more. So definitely it has succeeded in that. And so uh, then I was wondering how you guys came up with the idea for the setting. You know, uh, why did you set it in World War II? Were there any inspirations for it? Uh, Josh, I feel like I've talked too much. Do you want to take the first line? <laughs> I was struggling to remember why we chose World War II then as well. I knew... I mean... Um, I was going to say, myself, in terms of, I think, it being your first game, this is purely from a selfish point of view, this was, um, I wanted to stick to what I knew I could create um, artistically, um, could do the artwork for and things, and high fantasy or space exploration or anything like that, I had never done anything like that. So keeping it real world and, like, in you know, recent history or the near future was a big tick in my box yeah so basically what writing what do you know basically yeah to start off um we we'd been through trying to make it a board game we've done we'd we'd Hmm. put enough stumbling blocks at our way before uh so yeah (laughs) yeah and did you do any research then for the setting did you go to switzerland or did you uh, use Google Maps or anything at all? Did you do any research on the setting or the time period? Well, I can take this one. Uh, when okay. we started out, <laughs> I, yeah, when, when we started out, I read seventeen books about Switzerland in World War Two. Um, <laughs> wow! I got a, yeah, I got a bit. I got a bit into it, um, as well as to be fair, some of those books about spies, which were a lot more uh, palatable. After all, there's only so many times you can read about uh, the Swiss redoubt system. Um, so a lot of research. Uh, Google Maps was used extensively. We have a 1939 map of Switzerland from the era as well. Uh, an enormous amount of research was done by Catherine Neal as well of Astrologaster, who co-wrote uh, the base story, as did John. But I'm leading up to my big point, which is I've never been to Switzerland. Um, <laughs> so 
it's been very strange making and running a game. And every now and again, I see a picture of Switzerland and go, oh yeah, that place from the game that doesn't exist in real life. And then go, no, wait, it does, it does. I've just never been. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's amazing what we can do now with Google, Google Maps, Google Images. And well, you have what is probably most important is 1939 map of how Switzerland looked back then, which is nearly better than I'd say than going visiting Switzerland now because I imagine it's, it looks different now. Very different. I mean, yeah, and that map as well is reasonably rare because the Swiss banned maps shortly afterwards because they were so afraid of invading Nazi forces would use them to uh, find their way up the mountains. So it's uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of history there. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Cool and. And you mentioned as well that this is a bit, you know, Hitchcockian. So I imagine was he an influence for his movies, an influence on the, on this game? In terms of the writing, yes, uh, that was very much John Ingold's vision for it. So we had John, uh, we brought John in to write the script for the first game, the story in Over the Alps, and immediately he set out and said, you know, this this feels and smells Hitchcock. I can do so much kind of pulp writing in this sort of format. Uh, his works and 39 Steps. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could I could list them all off one by one. There's references to quite a few of them in there. Yeah, I, f- I found it because I've seen, I believe, most, if not all, of Hitchcock films. I went through a period where I had to watch every single one of his films, mm. even his first couple of films. You know, si- he made silent movies first, and uh, even some of his early films are admittedly not great, but they're still interesting. Every one of his films has... <laughs> something interesting about them but even the films that he made in the 1920s you know a lot of these are i said wow these are kind of really good you know they're spy stories they're set so well first of all in the um, you know first world war and then at the time and i believe i read online that someone said he was the jerry Bruckheimer of the 1920s because there was a lot of action <laughs> and a lot of explosions and um and yeah definitely you know when i was playing the demo of the game it felt you know like 39 steps uh, or a little bit like the lady vanishes or you could say list them, mm. list them off and foreign correspondent so um that was another um you know tick for me it's like okay that you know ticks my boxes as well that i want to check out and now you've mentioned that uh, you brought john ingold and Catherine neal in was did, did they join the, uh, the game after the demo in adventure x yep that's correct uh, we, like I said, worked Cash to Cure before he parted ways with us. We then brought Catherine Neal and John Ingold in after that point to, uh, we basically rewrote the script from scratch then. Oh. The core locations are the same. Uh, the characters are completely different. Uh, and the story and the text was completely rewritten by them. Okay. So the, 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 the core, I know what you're going to say is, oh, right, well, am I going to be getting the same thing as in the demo? <laughs> the core feel and vibe of the game has remained the same. And in fact, if anything, John is a powerhouse of a writer. Uh, the man knows the genre so well. I think he took the best of it and put it into Over the Alps. Really turned it into something very special. Definitely, yeah. We, we mentioned um, Heaven Vault, and I've mentioned several times on his podcast that talk that he gave at Adventure X in 2018, where he uh, did the talk, the presentation with Sally Beaumont, and uh, conversations and dialogue that worked well and didn't work so well. 
Uh, he used Assassin's Creed, I believe, Odyssey in an example, in which he said he liked the game, but there were certain parts of the dialogue that didn't feel very natural, and he showed examples, and then he showed Blade Runner, the, yeah, the movie. the Blade Runner one is fantastic. It's, uh, yeah, it's so clever. I've, I've said it before, but I definitely recommend, especially if you're a game developer, an art game developer, to just watch a talk. Even if you're not, you know, like me, it's still really, really interesting. So, yeah, I would probably have gone as well. Yeah, okay, John, you too, whatever. <laughs> but uh, but I, genuinely, I really liked what I what I played as well at the demo. So I think you guys uh, knew what, or know what you're doing as well. So, you know, it's yes. meant to be a compliment. But no, no. <laughs> I was like, ooh, do we know what we're doing? Um, you kind of know what you're I, doing. We, do. we know what we're doing. I think the, the thing is we've been, as a studio, uh, having – Links with Felbed and Inkhold, we're kind of surrounded by greats, like truly right. fantastic writers, left, right, and center. Um, I feel nothing but humility, frankly, for myself and the team. Uh, we had this kind of squad of freelancers that we brought in, including John and Catherine, who helped us make this vertical slice, essentially, not much more than what you saw in the demo, into a fully-fledged game pretty much from scratch in a handful of months so mm-hmm. i i can't i can't in all honesty say i know what i'm doing i think we know what we're doing it's been uh, an absolute joy working with those individuals um so yeah it's full humility on this end i have to say right yeah you're surrounded by well other people who know what they're doing and then some <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's the way to do it no it's uh, definitely <laughs> Um, no, but it's it's also, from what I believe, not hugely uncommon to just start from scratch, either in games or, you know, movie, TV series or uh, books as well. Now, I'm not a writer myself, but I spoke to another game developer last year, and I believe he's, you know, he's the head of his particular studio and head of the game, and he got a team of writers before as well. But I believe he said that they just rewrote the entire script three times that twice they just um, threw everything out. And I think he got a different team in as well, that there were the first group of writers and you know people working on it, they left, I think, for different reasons. And so he got a whole new team in. So, um, so I believe it's not hugely uncommon just to go, okay, you know, that's probably best to start, to start again. So I've been very tempted to boast a lot about that we made over the Alps in three and a half months. But yeah, that definitely. Really isn't, it really isn't true. I mean... <laughs> as boastful and as good as it sounds and as technically true as it is we had been making of the apps for so long and in different formats board game like i said maybe for six months but after them were demos with test runs with vertical slices were moments when we realized we'd been too ambitious or moments where we realized we could be more ambitious mm. we started off with code inside of xml sheets and then we moved it to data sets and script on objects we didn't use ink in the beginning, then we introduced that. All these changes meant that we were making the same game over and over again. And every time we did it, it got a little bit more polished. We got a little bit better at doing it and a little bit quicker. I mean, Josh can talk about the art pipeline in this and how it's changed so much from the beginning. Yes, I was going to ask about the art as well, because another thing that I loved about uh, the demo, at least, is the art style and, uh, well, and the gameplay, which we can talk a little bit about if it's which as well. But... Um, so yeah, so Josh, tell us about uh, the art, and uh, wonder if you could, if there's 
if you're able to describe it. I know this is an audio uh, medium that uh, if it does go to video, we'll try and show, you know, at least screenshots. But for people listening to the podcast, how would you describe the, the art style of the game? Yeah, no problem. Um, so it's heavily informed by the era it's from, our 1939 setting. Um, and it was kind of like a one step to get to the look, really. It's, you know, it's a travel game. I get a game that features traveling set in Switzerland in the 1930s. So 1930s Swiss travel posters came to mind very quickly. Um, and then the whole aesthetic is built off that really. So um, without trying to rip them off completely um, or hand paint everything, um, we kind of met in the middle and came up with our own look, which is still heavily inspired by it. And then nods to the films that we enjoyed and also informed the game, but um, came out as its own, sort of individual look at the end of it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely very distinctive. Um, hey. And <laughs> did the did the art style change over time uh, when you were making it? Yeah, so this, um, this, is, this is what Sam was saying earlier about, you know, we made the game so many times before we actually made the game. Um, it was the, I don't know what, I don't know what I was thinking really at the time. But after, you know, however many years of making it before we actually got the publishing money um, and then went into three months, um, we obviously had the art ready from that year or so up before. And then at the start of the three months, it was like, oh, well, we're on this full time now. So let's just start from scratch and do all the art way more complicated because <laughs> that makes sense. Um, but uh, I'm glad we did because it sort of it meant we could uh, we went over and embellished areas of the game and added way more than I thought we could have um, but that was possible because we'd spent so long before on those previous years coming up with the idea of the, the look and everything like that so when we got the money it was just ready to go it was just you know yeah so it's um you know do you, and you mentioned as well that uh Sam mentioned that you used then you changed to uh, Ink Studio or Ink, I think, which is the, which is a program, I believe, from Ink Studios. Did, did that change as well how you created the art of the game? I see now that I'm completely separate from that side of things. Oh, sorry. Okay, that's separate. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, <I> <laughs> um, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm, I'm not a game making developer. video games. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fair. It's it's. I swear to God, it's the only medium that involves about. 25 different separate skills that interlock with each other in a very, very <laughs> certain way. <laughs> right, so there, there are separate parts that all have to join together. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, no, it, I mean, it, it, it looks beautiful. And are there any animations uh, that you uh, made in the game? So do, you, do we see any you know, characters moving or anything? Or how, or how do the animations work in the game? Uh, yeah, so this was an, another thing that we were able to add when we were given three months and some money to make it with. Um, before, I, I have no real animation knowledge at all, um, just still illustration and things is what I do. But with the introduction of money, uh, we could hire an animator. Uh, so after the demo you played um, at Adventure X, Angus Dick came on board. Um, he made Ho Hokum and Paul Panic. Um, uh, worked on Hogan, made Bill Panic, and uh, he introduced all our moving elements. So they were like idle, anim idle animations in locations and, you know, little Swiss towns and things. And 
they're the signifiers in the game for what you should be doing. So you tap on the building that's shutters are moving or flags are waving. There are these little like, visual hints for you to do and they just change it massively compared to what we had at Adventure X. Seeing these drawings that I'd been looking at for, like Sam said, six years or something, suddenly put them in someone else's hands and things and they come to life literally it was mind-blowing it was that's yeah so they exist okay um so uh, well i look forward to to seeing that when i try out the game and then as well if we wanted to talk about the gameplay because at least that's once another thing that really intrigued me and that i found really fascinating about the game and really original um how would you describe the gameplay so i don't know who would be best sort of talk about that either or yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I feel like we've left poor Harry uh, to sit quietly alone for 20 minutes. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm, you doing I'm, all right? I'm interested. I'm listening. Listen, I'm just basically listening to a podcast at this point. It's great. <laughs> you, you have the, the, the first class seats. Don't worry, Harry. I'll, I'll get to you very shortly. <laughs> I haven't forgotten about you. I, I see you there. But yeah, I think, I think Sam is probably best place to describe the gameplay loop because it's definitely his kind of it sprung from his mind, I guess. Okay. And I wish Matt was here, to be fair. He's mm. busy tonight, sadly, but um, Matt as well had input in this. And to be fair, as did John, as did Josh, uh, as did everyone on the design of the game, it was a collaborative uh, affair. But that being said, I will go through the loop of the game. Uh, the story is told through uh, postcards written in invisible ink. In reality in the game, this is more of a framing device than it is you're actually moving postcards around on the screen. You read some text, you make choices that are represented by stamps. You can, of course, see what the choices are going to be. We're not going to do a Fallout 4 sarcastic on you. Um, then you, after maybe reading a bit, you can take a look around a location, uh, find something to tap or click on. A vehicle, let's say, something that's pertinent to the story, birds on the roof of a prison, and then up will pop another postcard which will advance the story further. You then move to the map when you're ready to go or you've unlocked a route you want to take. You take uh, the route to another location. Uh, maybe you've been dropping some clues uh, for the Swiss police to be catching up with you. If so, they will start moving up on you. Maybe you've been dropping misdirections for them and they'll kind of, you know, go a different direction. And the game continues. That's the core loop. You go back then to reading postcards. Interesting. So again, depending on the choices that you make, it takes you in one direction or or another, sometimes literally, from what I remember. Yes, yeah. yeah. There's an enormous amount of choice in there uh, for the base game and uh, Harry's work in the updates. Both the writers have put in so much uh, variety and branchingness in what is essentially a very small, very neat, curated little game. Um, your choices will mean things, of course, but they give you different endings. Uh, different routes are available. You can be caught by the police. Uh, different characters will end up in different states. I mean, I'm so tempted to spoil stuff now the more <laughs> I get into this, so I better stop. <laughs> Uh, well, sometimes actually I do, um, you know, spoiler 
and especially with developers of you know games that I have played. So maybe when I play <laughs> this game, I can <laughs> ask you guys back if you want to really let loose. <laughs> oh, that would be great. I would love that. Yeah, because no, what developers have told me is that they that they kind of like to feel freeing. That it's like, oh wow, I can talk about this stuff. So. <laughs> Um, having developed it for so long, I think we're all so <laughs> used to keeping shtum about it, frankly. Right. Uh, and the thing having changed so many times as well, I think we're uh, we're very used to keeping it in the uh, the overview. That being said, the story itself and the work that John, Catherine, and Nick did was just fantastic. It is a cracking story, and I really want to talk about what happens inside, but I don't want to spoil it for you. Right, well, when I play it then, I'll get back in touch with you guys and we can do a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> that you can really let loose then. It's like, yes, it feels freeing to. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, and I, and I wanted to ask as well, how did you get in touch with uh, both John and Catherine? And I believe you mentioned Nick as well. Did you know them from before or did you get in touch with them while you were making the game? So I knew John from before. It's really fair to say that Over the Alps is inspired by 80 Days. Right. 80 Days is in its DNA. There's no two ways around it. Um, and I was a big fan. So, you know, getting John to play Over the Alps was really exciting when it was back in its infancy. John and I would talk a lot. We talked a lot about ink. We just kind of kept meeting up at Adventure X. Um, and then when Cash left the project, I actually reached out to him saying, hey, do you know any writers who might be interested in a short-term contract to uh, get this thing rewritten? And John said, yes, I do. Uh, me. Uh, <laughs> with one condition, I really want to work with Catherine Neal, who uh, worked on Astrologaster beforehand. Uh, so the two of them set themselves up and got themselves talking. Nick was from before then, actually. I knew Nick through the Inkle forums as a developer writer and all-round ink person the original vision for nick was going to be let's get him in and kind of utilize his knowledge of ink but he ended up being the most useful person in the world when it came to every aspect of the narrative uh not just a great design brain and good at feedback but also invaluable when it came to translation so over the alps is translated into 15 languages um there's nearly a total, if you count all the languages up, nearly a million words in it. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because from what I played as well, there was a lot of writing. It seems that there's a lot of, well, writing in this game. And now I see it's available in 15 different languages. 15 languages, Quebecois, Turkish, Arabic, as well as English, French, Spanish, and all the uh, usual suspects. Yeah, because I see that there's um, not only is it uh, translated to French, but it's also translated to French and then in brackets Canadian French. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then so this is and then this it's Chinese. Is... Sorry, simplified Chinese and Chinese traditional. I didn't know there was oh, yes. a simplified Chinese. <laughs> uh, the better known as Cantonese and Mandarin, I believe. Um, one is spoken in the mainland, and one is spoken in Hong Kong. Wow, well, I'm learning something something new. Sorry, I uh, didn't mean to interrupt. But... No, 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 it's fair. To be on the arcade, you have to be done in 15 languages. And I've worked in narrative games before. The cost of translation is normally so prohibitive and difficult to do. It's hard to pull off. Uh, we just don't see. People don't get to know. But there's a massive communities 
of gamers in Russia, uh, in Germany, in plenty of places that I really want, you know, translated, completed narrative games because they just simply don't get enough of them there. And being able to bring over the Alps of that many people, I, I mean, I couldn't have, when, when we were messing around with silly board game ideas, if you had told me how this would end up, I really would not have believed you at all that someone from the Solomon Islands is messaging us saying, hey, this game's great. I just, yeah, it's absolutely baffling. Yeah, no, it's uh, because it started off well, relatively small, I imagine, and now there are people from all over the world playing it in all these different languages. So I can certainly imagine. And, and Harry, were you involved at all with the uh, translation of the game? Did, um, did, did you say that you were involved at all with the getting the game translated? Yes, uh, I am working on an update at the moment, um, which I think we're happy to say, are we? Um, yes, we are, yeah. And yeah. so I'm kind of getting to grips with the idea now that the stuff I'm writing is also going to be translated into Russian and Arabic and Chinese and Japanese and everything, um, which is, you know, really exciting and interesting. And as a writer, not something I've ever, like writing for games, that's not something you usually encounter um, unless you're writing for like AAA, massive, massive games. Um, but because it's on the Apple Arcade, it's kind of like it's a real big focus for Apple. Um, so... You know, it's a really neat idea that I'm going to write something that's going to end up being, you know, read in Arabic by someone, you know, I don't know where. Um, and it's going to be translated by kind of a professional translator who's going to take that and kind of rework it and make it work with the kind of the expected, like, frame of reference for the person reading it. It's just a really, you know, fascinating and exciting process. Yes, I can imagine because there are not many games that uh, that are, can be played in Arabic. I imagine it's certainly not made by British studio. <laughs> There's a big wedge of narrative developers in Jordan I know of, and they are pretty much it. There's a few in Palestine. There's a few in Egypt as well. Probably Egypt's the biggest one. Yeah, yeah, it's wild, absolutely wild. Seeing people in you know, Oman playing our game and just kind of imagining what they're doing, what they think of it, you know, it's uh, very exciting. And it, and it presents a really interesting series of challenges um, from a technical perspective, um, from what I understand as well, um, but also from just a writing perspective, because it's things like, you know, we're writing a game which is set in 1930s Switzerland and features characters um, who speak French, who speak German, they speak Italian to each other. And there's moments in the English version of the storyline where characters will you know, fire off a little phrase in Italian or a little phrase in German or whatever, because, you know, they're making a reference to their own, you know, this is their natural language, so they're just firing it off. It's just, you know, someone says, Alvidishane rather than goodbye. But how do you translate that? Um, you know, we have to provide a kind of glossary, like this is all of these different references. These are kind of, this is the name of a French cocktail, so this is in French rather than in English, so that someone who's meant to be translating the game from English to you know, Arabic, doesn't suddenly come across French and be like, I don't know French, what am I meant to do? Um, you have to kind of provide a glossary that explains what it is. So it's, you know, it's a really interesting uh, side of writing um, that I think when you're writing a novel, maybe you kind of expect to encounter that kind of thing a little bit more. Um, but writing uh, for games, it's something that's really interesting. Right, and did you work with... Uh you know translation companies from from these countries then when you're translating the game 
we work with a single company called Atlingua, who are based in Cardiff. Uh, we have a really good relationship with them. They uh, have been amazing. And the way they work is they find other translation people around the world to do the translation pieces for, kind of aggregate all their bits together and then present it as one. They have been absolute godsend. But I, I can imagine that it must have been challenging as a, uh, Harry mentioned that in the English version, there's already characters speaking, uh, you know, German and French and Italian. Uh, did this pose any challenges to to the company when when translating? Do you know, or is this? <laughs> no, yeah, no, huge. Um, we found out that from other translators reading our work that occasionally when. John had written, you know, a joke swear word in Italian. They had written, hey, heads up, this is probably the most offensive swear word you could choose. We need to rework this. And there was also uh, the logistical effort of the thing as well. We had to rewrite the way our ink compiler worked. So we write our game in ink, um, which is a basically a script which has certain tags in it that can be understood by uh, Unity. Uh, Ink is written, made by Inkle as well, so good to have the John Ingold on there who knew it very well. Um, we made it so that you could put any text you wanted to in, in any form, any order, and then using a system of tags, it would fire off parts of the game. So, you know, you'd write, I'm going to go and have an exciting car chase now, uh, underneath the tag set postcard, and the game would just throw a postcard up and put the text in there. That meant that our translators could just do whatever they wanted to, as long as they didn't change the tags, which they occasionally change the tags, but we taught them not to eventually every time. Right. Okay. Yeah, because I spoke to a Russian translator. He spoke about how he goes about translating, and he worked with uh, with Charles Cecil on Broken Sword 5, and he's working on Beneath mm. the Steel Sky, and he worked on Gibbous and all of these. And uh, you know, he, he mentioned as well, I think, that developers that he believes that they should all have i forget the name of it i think some sort of like bible he called it um just to send to the translators but i think you guys kind of already did that to say like this is um you know these are the most important points and when what we need and all he said that that was very helpful so we had to uh, send over um we have glossaries but we also mm -hmm. have a um, style guide for ink like changes and don't changes in ink and then we also have just at the very end we send them a little rundown of the game and also things like characters in Japanese uh, characters will talk very differently depending on their age uh, to one another or they will use certain terms uh, in our Russian translators uh, apparently I don't read Russian sadly <laughs> um, have translated it in a style that kind of resembles 1930s Russian which the Russians love they think it's fantastic the whole game kind of feels like an artifact at the time um, we have to provide all this stuff for them though, for characters forward. They will ask often, they'll ask spot questions as well. And they say, well, what does this mean, you know, in English? You know, how would you translate this here? It's been fascinating as well to ha have an eye on that as Aplingua sorts them out. I can kind of watch as uh, different translators uh, debate and help each other in uh, finding their version of the game. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a, been a fascinating process all around. Sounds like it. And then the final question that I'll ask on the translation is, because I spoke to other developers asking their opinions on it, and some have said that they 
they didn't think it was um, worth the cost that most people would play the game in English, and especially with being an indie studio that they they found that they couldn't afford it and that they wouldn't get the returns as well. But it sounds like for, for you guys, definitely seems to be worth it. Um, so how, how was it for you guys then, Translate? Do you think it was worth it, worth the price of getting it translated into different languages? So uh, I've signed a lovely and very thick contract with Apple uh, about what I can and uh, can't say about our earnings from the game, obviously in the numbers from the game. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not asking exactly how much it costs or anything. <laughs> no, no, never but, so but what I'm me, saying is I can't detailed really... figures. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is a good... Send me, send me some numbers, put a pie chart. <laughs> um, no, but what I'm saying is I can't really comment on the fiscal aspect of it. I will say this from a point of view of having a wide community and a point of view of finding new people out there, it has been worth it for us. Um, for an indie developer, uh, a really small one that hasn't got, you know, funding by Apple behind it or the kind of the will that Apple has to get translation out there, different story altogether. I noticed that um, some indie developers are starting to translate into Chinese quite a bit, it's starting to translate into Russian. Uh, it's not as expensive as I thought it would be. It was certainly big for our game. We had a lot of words in, but I'm imagining if your game's got total 10,000 words, you'd be quite pleasantly surprised. It can sometimes work out anywhere between uh, two cents to eight cents a word, depending on the language. Uh, Chinese is cheaper, I know that. Um, it may be worth it. Uh, but other than that, I can't comment beyond that it, from the point of view of community and reach and the good feeling of hey french canadians we have a game for you in french canadian which is really cool uh that's been great I've, uh, that was entirely worth it yeah that's one thing that i noticed that is, as i mentioned not only is it in french but it's in french canadian 100 <laughs> percent. they yes um sadly uh uh we we don't get to see the actually to be fair it's great the arcade doesn't, you know, track data from players. So we don't know how many people have played it in French Canadian. If you're listening to this podcast and you have been playing over the apps in French Canadian, please email us. I super want to talk to you. And I really want to know who out there has played it in French Canadian. Definitely. And you can email the podcast as well. You can email, you can CC us all. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, we all want to know. And if you do, you can write in French Canadian if you wish, and we'll we'll translate. <laughs> uh, okay, well, um, so now I don't know if you can talk about this, uh, if it would be spoilers or anything, but you mentioned that Harry was working on updates to the game. Uh, are you able to talk about what updates they are, or would that be a spoiler? So what I'll say is that um, basically we're releasing an update for the game which adds an entirely new story so we've got one story in there already which was written by john ingold and uh, catherine um and yeah i i'm basically writing another one so the over the out setting is a really interesting setting it's you know just pre-world war ii it's very focused on espionage and adventure and this kind of you know this extremely dramatic period of history in this extremely dramatic landscape. Um, and I think there's room in that space for a huge number of stories. Um, and we kind of wanted to create something like an anthology feel, I guess, um, where you can have 
multiple characters running around um, and multiple kind of storylines taking place over different time periods, but kind of around the same time period. Um, but just different looks at this one kind of Swiss corner of the world in this, you know, very dramatic and exciting time period um, where, you know, terrible things are happening around the world and you're just this tiny kind of cog in a vast intelligence machine. Um, and, you know, we ex- we ex- uh, John explored that really well um, in the first story, which is uh, you can currently play on Over the Alps. And we're just releasing an update, which is, you know, more locations um, playing as a different character. Um, it's set uh, a year earlier than the original Over the Alps storyline. So this one is set in 1938. Um, and... As this new character, you're dealing with kind of some new faces uh, and some old faces that you may recognize um, from the first story. Um, So I kind of want to leave it at that. But basically, you know, it's an anthology. It's a series, you know, two stories set in different time periods, but um, both with kind of similar themes, similar intentions and kind of similar tones. And if you like the first one, um, hopefully you'll really like this one, too. One thing I would uh, say, say to all developers is uh, hopefully you guys don't crunch as well unless you want to, but I hope you, you're not working 18 hours a day. <laughs> like, I've heard some horror stories as well. So. so for the base game, yeah, we definitely did that. Um, it's, uh, we are now taking it a little slower and taking a lot more time over it and making it a little better for everyone. The three and a half months was, uh, was uh, tough to do. I can imagine. uh, Yeah, we're not making a habit of that. (laughs) Yeah, important to build on what we've done as well, I think. While like, I I love Over the Alps and um, the story we managed to put out there and the experience we did, like, with each little bit where we can add a tiny bit more polish on one aspect, whether it's the art or the, I don't know, wherever. um, I think that's, that's worth doing at this stage as well. Congratulations on being part of Apple Arcade. So that definitely shows that... Again, you guys know what you're doing, that Apple Arcade saw this and go, oh, wow, this looks interesting. So how, how did this uh, come about, if you're able to answer? How did this uh, disagreement, uh, you know, this uh, cooperation come about with Apple Arcade, if you're able to, to talk about it? Uh, we, we can. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we can, yeah. Shall I don't want you breaking any, any NDAs or, you know, going to prison for... <laughs> no, no, no. no, we're free now. The game's out. We'll do whatever we want. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a case of uh, sticking around and pitching for quite a while. We had had the demo and vertical slice of Over the Alps uh, out and about for a few years. Um with a pitch deck we were sending to different individuals. Uh, we kept at it. We sent a lot of pitches out. It's basically a full-time job to pitch a game. Um, it's a lot of work to do, especially when you're starting out and you're kind of convincing people that, hey, I've made stuff before and let me do this and I'll make something new. Um, the point it came to the arcade was via Felix Kramer who is a Canadian scout. Uh, We got in touch as we knew people who knew them. And Felix was like, basically hold your horses. This is looking perfect for something I know of. And slowly over time it came out. 
that we were allowed into the inner circle before it was announced. Uh, we had a few calls with Apple uh, in Cupertino, uh, quite a number of calls and pitches, exhaustive ones. And eventually they said, yeah, this is the kind of thing we want. And we said, yes, you're the kind of thing we want as well. And we got married and had a baby called Over the Alps. <laughs> lovely way of putting it. It's <laughs> well, it's a very beautiful baby. <laughs> uh, it looks beautiful as well. And um, as a, you know, said congratulations. Uh, but it's great to see Apple as well going for games like these because it's an indie game as well. That's not not exactly a traditional adventure game. And they and they went, yeah, you know, we'll you know be happy to. So it was amazing, yeah. Like I'll definitely I'll just say on that as well. Like the folks at Apple blew me away with their vision for arcade. Um, you know, to say it's by gamers for gamers is kind of like an old world trodden phrase, but it's very true there with what they put together. Yeah, there are like big titles on there, but the little ones they managed to find and put money behind and, you know, get out in the open. They did an amazing job of that. Yeah. So true because they also have games like Discolored and mm-hmm. uh, Neo Cab and, you know, plenty of other games. I know Laura to, over Christmas, uh, she got Apple Arcade and then she just started playing games, you know, on the, on the train and on the bus. <laughs> so I, I re- I probably will have already got it by the time this episode goes out, but I really need to get it. Because we want to play those games, uh, especially if you're traveling as well. Especially, well, this game would be great traveling, I think. If you're, especially in Switzerland, if yeah, you're traveling in Switzerland yeah, and play and compare the the locations. No, please, no, please don't. For God's sake, <laughs> like, you'll see all the floors. This very thinly painted veil I've put behind the art. No, it's fine. Oh no, it's artistic license, I believe they call it. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite license. I use that license a lot. And. Uh, and now, again, feel free, if you uh, can't answer this, don't worry. Now, again, I'm not going to ask for specifics, but, um, you know, I heard from some developers as well that do, do you guys make money if the game sells through Apple Arcade or do you get the lump sum or does Apple they make the money depending on the arcade? Because, again, we gamers as well, we want to help you guys make money. Um, is is there anything you can say about this process or again should we move on for fear of Apple uh, knocking on my door <laughs> no 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 no, no. Um, let's say this uh, playing the game is an enormous plus for us uh, it helps us massively not just that it's great that you play it um, but it's also uh, it helps us in that that's how we get paid essentially not to go into any further detail than that. Please play over the Alps. Uh, obviously rate it if you've played it. would be really cool as well. Um, and yeah, uh, that's as much as I can say. I think please rate and play over the Alps. So, so you can't give any specifics how much money you make or anything? No? Okay, I won't. Uh... Absolutely not. No, 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 no. I'm really tempted to like pretend the sound of banging on the door now. But uh, no. like, the, the thing about Apple is like they sound massive and scary, but in reality, there's the arcade team is a group of people who, like Josh said, just believe in the things they're working in and are helping out tiny indie games and trying to make something beautiful and sincere it's not some big terrifying uh 
company for us at all. It's Kathy and Nicola and all the people <laughs> we work with to get this game out, um, who we have an enormous fondness for. Um, they are just yeah, fantastic. Uh, but yeah, we still can't talk about how uh, <laughs> the numbers, the, them numbers, uh, can't be discussed. Oh, don't worry. I let you off this time, but maybe next <laughs> time I'll expect, uh, you know, some juicy details that, um, yeah, may get you guys put in prison, but, you know, I think it's worth it, maybe. <laughs> well, you got to play the game first, you know? Definitely. No, I really need to play it. I really need to, to get Apple Arcade first, um, because I've, from what I've read, it definitely seems worth a lot of great games on it. And fantastic adventure games as well. Mm. Uh, no, definitely. Zone, Pilgrims, mm. Tangle Tower. I could go on for hours. The, the thing is chock full of just great games. Oh, and Over the Alps, of course. Of course, uh, yes, yes. Um, yeah, well, as, as I said, uh, Laura played it and reviewed it, and she loved it. So, um, you know, I, I can you know see why. Well, I think that's all the questions that I have about the game. You've been great. Uh, you've definitely convinced me to... Um, you know, to get Apple Arcade and to play it and hopefully invite you guys back for, you know, a spoiler special for when <laughs> I've played it. <laughs> I'd, I'd be delighted. Where can people find you guys online? Is there, you know, a website for the game in the studio? Yeah, uh, overthealpsgame.com. Uh, you can find us at apple.co forward slash dash over the Alps or just search over the Alps in the App Store. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Uh, over the Alps and Instagram over the Alps as well. We have absolutely everything. I think Ooh. the Twitter is over the Alps game. If you, uh, Ooh, if you look, over the Alps game. Yes, if you go for oh, over the Alps on Twitter, it will just be. Um, I think it's someone who's literally recording their trek as yeah, they go over. Literally, over somebody the made a Twitter account for their holiday going over the Alps. They snatched it um, from us. So that's the over I the know. Alps game. <laughs> <laughs> but we're definitely just over the Alps on Instagram and overthealpsgame.com if you're interested. Okay, what a weirdly specific uh, Twitter for you know, something that's not your game. Turns out the Alps are a real thing and sometimes people go over them and we can't <laughs> even sue them. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a shame. Maybe you should send, you know, we can send some Nazis after them too. <laughs> no, no, better not get involved with that. <laughs> Listen, um, we'd be sending the British spies. We'd be sending the intelligence. Yeah, we're sending uh... Uh, MI5 or James Bond. Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, so that's all the uh, places that we can find out more. And uh, again, it might be very early days as well, but what, I know that time recording, you're working on updates to the game, as you mentioned, Harry mentioned. Um, but are you working on, would you like to either make a full sequel or would you like to work on something different in the future? Maybe make a different uh, game, different story or different setting? Or is there anything at all that you can you can tell us? or? <laughs> Ooh. Or no? Ooh, whoa, that's Ooh. a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. I like to finish off on these very big philosophical questions. It is. <laughs> we we have uh, quite a few more updates coming out for the Alps, which will keep us busy. But yeah, we're thinking, yeah. aren't we, boys? We're thinking. Okay. Yeah, we'll be battling this particular dragon for a little while. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, and uh, with that then, um, well, I can let you guys 
um, take us out. Um, I was wondering, uh, Harry, since we haven't heard from you, very, uh, so very sorry for keep for keeping you. Seems to you at least you got. Uh, that's okay. I think seat. I've got my aura in. Yeah, is there anything that you would like to say to to finish off to other people listening or anything at all? Um, I guess I can just be very crass and say if you have Apple Arcade, um, just download over the outs and give it a go. It's pretty pretty short as as games go, but very sweet. It's just a kind of really nice little narrative experience you can have sitting at home on your sofa. It won't take too long and then you've got a whole story out of it and then you can check back in a few months and then there'll be a whole new story there waiting for you when we've got this update out so yeah i think it's worth giving it a shot i don't really uh have anything else to say other than that kind of very <laughs> self-serving plug but uh there you go very nice yeah. to add to that uh go put over the alps um rate it if you liked it of course and uh sign up to our newsletter which is on the front page of our website if you're interested in hearing future uh, <laughs> upcoming updates. And, yeah. Yeah. and if you're the owner of the Over the Alps app, Over the Alps <laughs> handle, please, please just give it us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you guys will, will use it way better, I'm sure. So. <laughs> I think <laughs> they stopped can... using it in 2011 or something, so yeah, they don't they need did. it we anymore. Can do, we can do a swap. They, they can have Over the Alps game and we'll have Over the Alps. That seems fair. <laughs> I mean, you guys could theoretically contact Twitter, or the CEO, I'm sure, to say, look, this has been inactive for however many years, and we're active, so you know that could that could maybe work. Mm. <laughs> I need to get hit at my contact with Jack Dorsey. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I can call him up for you. I have him here on speed dial. I believe. Oh, you do. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Because apparently this podcast is doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> apparently. <laughs> No, that that was what do we call it a lie. Um, no. <laughs> um, okay, well, as uh, as we heard from these three lovely gentlemen, play over the Alps and rate it. Um, I definitely will sometime this year. I'm looking forward to it. I love the demo at Adventure X. Well, thank you very much. So it's uh, Sam, Joshua, and Harry. Uh, just to. Just to personalise it a bit. Grand <laughs> <laughs> State Studios. So the very best of luck with the game and with the updates and with whatever else you do in the future. And I hope to talk to you guys again very very soon. Grand. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. So that was my interview with Sam, Harry and Joshua of Stay Studio. A huge thank you again to the three guys of Stay Studio for speaking to me. I had a great time speaking to them. And I hope to speak to them again very soon. So their game, Over the Alps, is available on Apple Arcade and it's available on Steam for PC. So I will be reviewing that game probably next couple of weeks when I get a chance to play it. So next week I will be joined once again as always by Laura and Thomas as we will be discussing the latest adventure game news and reviews. So until then, take care everyone. Bye. So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. 
Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you